Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast. In this episode, we bring you the results of the MSI MOA qualifiers, and we look at the EVGA X99 classified. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia. With me today, I have Darren McKay. Darren, last podcast, we talked about the MSI MOA America's Qualifier. That's right. And that was a competition that I competed in. Well, it's been a month, and the other two regions and the worldwide qualifier for the Class B has now concluded. Very nice. So I thought we could go over some of the scores and kind of congratulate the winners and really kind of bring out some of the highlights of what happened during these qualifying rounds. So now if I remember correctly, the Class A was split by regions, and the Class B was not. Is that right? Correct. Uh, Class B was open worldwide. It was also, you know, I call it the cheap chips edition. Oh, that's right. Yes, the cheap chips. Yeah, which isn't cheap at all because it's more of an exercise in binning. You just happen to be able to bin more, so to speak. <laughs> well, bin cheaper. Yeah. Quality over quantity or quantity over quality? Yeah, it, you know, two hands, figure out which one it is. Exactly. So let's talk about it. How do we do well, let's see. Let's go over, let's start with Class A in the APAC qualifier. Now, APAC, that's the Asia-Pacific region. That is correct. APAC is a, kind of a marketing term. It's kind of nice to see how Hardware Bot, or MSI in this case, divided up everything in the regions that they market to. So we have the EMA, which is uh, Europe, and we also have APAC, and then the Americas, which is basically everything on our side of the world. Asia-Pacific, type A, how many people were allowed to qualify and pass through? Well, let's see. 12 overclockers had submitted scores. The points range based off of what they scored in each one of the benchmarks. And for Class A, we had three benchmarks. That started with SuperPi 32M, followed by a uh, FutureMark benchmark, which is 3DMark 03. And then we wrapped it up with Unigen Heaven, which is going to be our DirectX 11 benchmark. Those sound like some pretty standard ones, this time around at least. Yeah, definitely. So we have, um, how many qualifiers did we allow for APAC? I think you said six, which is a pretty good amount when you figure only 12 total people submitted scores. Really good odds there. Mm -hmm. So let's run through our top six. All right. The number one qualifier was Rody, I believe, followed by OC Windforce. We have D for Dog. Uh, I'm sure somebody will correct me. D for Dog, maybe? Some of these names are, you know, online names, how they're just a subsequent bunch of letters stuck together. Right. They have a meaning to everybody, which I don't want to tarnish, of course. Uh, number four was Royal Flush, followed by Bob NZ. Number six was actually Sniper Oz. And then we have uh, Iki, I-K-K-I. An interesting mix of scores as I'm looking at the totals. It looks very tightly packed at the top. 56, 55 for the top two. Yeah, we actually have a, a pretty good uh, mix of scores as well. You know, first place for SuperPie32M was 4 minutes 38 seconds, which is actually very impressive. Nice. And 3D Mark 03, we have uh, Rody coming in first with 25.4440, which is actually a really good score. And in Unigen Heaven, which I'm going to say is probably one of the more challenging benchmarks just because of its length and what goes into making this benchmark run fast. We have OC Windforce, not a surprise, coming in with uh, 55.95.1. Very nice. So close competition. Good job, guys. 
Yeah. Look forward to seeing how things stack up in the finals. Yeah, I'm going to look at OC Windforce's score here to see what kind of uh, clocks he was running because that is actually pretty impressive. And we have a 4770K, which is not a surprise, running at 6. No, 5.2 gigahertz on liquid nitrogen. We have the R290X running at an amazing 1600 megahertz by 1715 on the memory. Very nice. Yeah, that's actually quite an overclock. So our next region is EMA, which is going to be Europe. And that is a much larger list. Looks like 16 people submitted scores. This is, you know, Europe and also South Africa. So we have quite a few countries in that region. You know, some of those countries are smaller than states in the United States. And how many did we take on the top of this group? I believe it is five. Okay, well, let's take a look at the top five here. And I see higher scores on the top, at least, than we saw in the APAC region. Actually, you know, I'm, I'm going to go and correct ourselves here because uh, we're too far into this. EMA was actually six competitors. APAC was only five. Oh, wow. So we lost our Japanese friend. Very close, though. Yeah, very, very close. So uh, first place in the EMA was Vivi. Not a surprise. He's number one in the world in terms of overclocking on hardware bot, I believe. Awesome. Followed by Extreme Addict, who is a very familiar face when it comes to online and brick-and-mortar style overclocking competitions. And coming in third was Zolo, who was also a very familiar face when it comes to these overclocking competitions. Persella Barley? I'm not going to be able to pronounce that correctly. Comes in number four. He's also a very familiar face, and I just am terrible with names sometimes. We have Moose83 coming in fifth, followed by Wizardly. And that's going to be our six contestants making it to the worldwide final. Yeah, and I'm just looking at the represented countries here, and it is an interesting mix. Definitely a lot of regions represented as we look across the top 16 here. The one interesting thing that, you know, it's one competitor per country. And this is kind of an interesting point in that that does limit the amount of competitors because we have, you know, you always have your top tier overclockers in every country. And you know that they're going to place well. So in some cases, you have to make that decision on whether or not you want to try to compete and try to beat them if you think you can, or just kind of save your money and just kind of watch from the sidelines. So it's nice to see that we have three people from Germany competing. We have two from France. Looks like a couple from Italy too. So we have a good mix of uh, multiple overclockers here. And that leaves us to the Americas. Right, and that's the one we talked about in the last podcast. We have uh, Rebus, uh, Mike CDM, Nacho, and Grendel, who came in fourth, who is uh, from Brazil, so he's not going to be able to go. Myself, coming in fifth. Yay! And then we have uh, Dark Venom, also from Brazil, and then For the Win from Canada. So I believe it went all the way down to seventh place to get our fourth person from the Americas. I couldn't help but notice that our Brazilian... Rivas had an incredible 75-point score, which really stands out from all three regions. He pretty much uh, made a sweep right at the very, very end. I mean, he came in first place with four minutes, 54 seconds in Super Pi. We also have an amazing score in 3D Mark 3 at 25,166. It's a hard number to pronounce because it's so big. <laughs> Uh, we also have Heaven, DirectX 11, at 56.38, which I'm going to say is actually 
beating out some of the other people. Yeah, that's some fantastic scores across the board. So congratulations there for sure. I believe I was doing an interview with the overclocking TV folks, and I was talking about how the showmanship in the Americas was, I want to say it was kind of top-notch. It was actually really good. For instance, I would submit a score, and then a few hours to a day later, Mike CDM would actually submit another score, which was kind of one of his backups, just a slightly faster than mine. <laughs> right. They kind of, kind of pushed me a little bit more and actually gave people something to look at and something to watch. A nice back and forth, yeah. And unfortunately, you know, we have a Brazilian fellow who did a sweep at the very, very end, which it's an online competition. The only time that really counts is at the very, very end. And it's not necessarily sandbagging at that point, even though people say, hey, the sandbagging, well, you kind of have to submit a score before you can sandbag a score. That's very true. Congratulations all on yep. qualifying. How does Class B look? Class B was amazing, I'm going to say. We have a total of 24 competitors. And keep in mind, this is all over the world. They follow the same rules in that one overclocker per country. In Class B, it's pretty much, you know, like we can get one person from the U.S., one person from South Africa. We can have one person from, you know, anywhere. Well, I noticed the scores are much higher, so that must mean that the benchmarks are different. Yeah, well, we have a total of five benchmarks, unlike the three that we had in Class A. You know, we have the Super Pi 32M, which is pretty much a stable in just about every one of these competitions, followed by Cinebench R15, release 15, basically. That's going to be our 3D benchmark with a kind of heavily weighted on, on the system. And then we also have 3 Mark 3 which is also another stable in a lot of MSI competitions. I want to say it was in the past three MOAs for a qualifier. And then XTU, which is going to be the Intel benchmark overclocking tool, which is also an integration with Hardware Bot, which is quite nice. And then the last one was Firestrike. Not the extreme, mind you. This is just regular Firestrike. So how did those benchmarks measure up to what the Class A folks did? Well... I'm going to say that it was considerably more difficult because mostly of competition. We also had the binning aspect of it. And that to get the most out of, like, for instance, the 3D benchmarks, you were limited to just using a GTX 750, not a tie, just a regular 750, which is pretty much the super low-end Maxwell uh, GPU. That card itself is physically limited. So, you know, there's no external power connector on it. You can solder one on and get more power to the GPU and actually stabilize it a bit. But the VRM on these chips, um, or these cards rather, is rather small, three to four phases. You know, we talked about in the last episode, we're not going to really see a lightning edition in this kind of segment. This is a mainstream card. So to actually push it to get enough power into the GPU, you're going to be putting on a, uh, an e-power, you know, one of those external VRMs you know, hacking off the end of a video card and solder it on or buy one from EVGA or something like that. And I'm going to say that's one thing that Staponzi, who came in second, uh, did for his um, Firestrike scores. He came in second place. If you pull up his pictures, I think you can kind of see what I mean. Just taking a look here. Oh, I see. He's got, oh, he's got quite the resume, too. Yeah, he's got quite a lot going on there. But he's got two e-powers. There's one on the, I'm going to say the front, and one on the back side of the of the card. I'm going to say that was for the VRM to the GPU and then also to memory. He's got a couple of fans in there. There's a couple of really nice ice picks in there because of, you know, he's in Florida, so there's a lot of humidity. 
he'd gone through, I think, three cards or two cards or something like that. One of them was a golden card that he had modified, and that's what he ran through all these other benchmarks for. Wow. The bending and effort really paid off because he came in second place with some amazing scores. Well, an impressive effort. And I know there are, it looks like there are 24 people that submitted scores in the Worldwide B, and they are taking 18 in that division also? 18. No, I don't think 18. I think we're getting uh, a total of three. Oh, only three. Yeah, which is kind of a surprise. You know, That makes the competition a bit more fierce. If you score well in one uh, section, you know, like Staponzi had first in Superbike 32M, and that gave him enough points so that he could get second and third in some of these other ones and still play second overall. It's a strategy of making sure that you have the right points in the right places and you're hedging yourself for the other benchmarks and being able to score well. Terrific. So what's next? Next is the finals in Taiwan that happens sometime in October. Everybody that qualified is getting a ride out to Taiwan and will hopefully be broadcasting live. That's right. That's the rumor, at least. So we'll see what happens. I mean, you'll be able to uh, log into the OCTV Twitch live stream. You'll be able to watch all of the action. They are actually bringing in more media, so there should be a lot more coverage. Very nice. This should be one of the best MOAs ever, actually. And one of the best represented in the media. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So watch for news on the MOA finals through HardwareAsylum.com. It's no surprise that we get new hardware in the Hardware Asylum Labs all the time. All the time. And we have something new on the table or in front of the microphones here. Right on. And it's from EVGA. Darren, do you want to do the honors and read uh, what's on the box? I've got the box in my hands right now, and I'm excited to announce that I'm looking at an EVGA X99 Classified. Classified, so that means we can't tell you about it? No, of course not. If we told you, we'd have to kill you, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, that means you didn't hear it here, I guess. But... <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's public knowledge now. The launch was 29th of last month. Very few sites have the X99 because of the cost involved. And it's a highly, highly sought-after board in general, the Classified series. Mm-hmm. So that just adds to the excitement for me. Oh, yeah. It's a pretty board. I'm going to say it follows a lot of the design patterns started with the X99 Dark, which was the... Uh, uh, the power board of the from the EVGA line in the X79 series. I am pulling it out, if you can't tell. Yeah, gonna be. I want to take a look at this bad boy. Do a pseudo unboxing here. Very nicely. So I'm holding in my hands a beautiful motherboard, and the first thing I notice is this X99 heatsink with the big E from EVGA logo in a beautiful red. That's kind of the only red on the board. And I noticed the, the caps are red accented, so you get a slight little bit of red on an otherwise all-black motherboard. The The caps are actually nothing terribly new, although it does kind of match, you know, the red, blah, blah, blah. And but. these are the solid-state caps, I noticed, the mm-hmm. nice high-end ones, which is what you'd expect from a classified. Japanese-made. Well, let's talk about it. Tell right. me what is exciting and new about the X99 chipset. Well, here, put it on the uh, on the table here, and we'll take a look. There you go. So the X99 chipset is basically the uh, supporting chipset for the new Haswell E processor. A brand new socket type. Yep. The E stands for the extreme, or so to speak. It still has an LGA 
2011 socket, although the pinout and shape, pretty much everything about the processor is different in terms of the package. Okay. Haswell E is also the first generation CPU that supports DDR4 memory. Which I'm very excited about. It's about time. Yes, it is about time. The the bleeding edge of processor memory technology also brings with it a price premium. Right now, the memory kits are going for close to like $600. Brutal. And that's how many? And that's like 16 gigs. Yeah, which is, is very good. So now the motherboard has four lanes on each side. And I understand that if we're doing support for DDR4, that it works in parallel sets. Right. It works just like it did on X79. So we have quad-core memory. You can run in dual or quad-channel formats if you want. I right. believe you can run in three, but I never tried. So you basically need four modules. The classified board comes with eight memory slots, so you can support the four channels with two banks each. And I'm looking at the feature set, and it says that it supports up to 128 gigs of memory. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Four layers, of course, which is insane. Mm -hmm. And it looks like out of the box, they want to support up to 2,667 megahertz or more when overclocked. Right. When it comes to overclocking, I'm going to say that the Haswell E, but at the time we're recording this, I haven't actually tested it. You know, we just took it out of the the box here. Yeah, fresh and shiny. So with every other overclocking motherboard, they always give you the recommends that come from Intel. And this is actually what's supported on the warranty. If you blow up your processor, it has to run, you know, 1600 megahertz memory and so on and so forth. Makes sense. These boards, uh, they claim that they're going to be running up to like 3000 megahertz. With overclocking. That's very exciting. I know when we jumped to DDR3, we got faster RAM, but we paid for it with a little bit looser numbers and latency. Mm -hmm. Is that true with DDR4 also? DDR4 takes latency to the extreme, so to speak. We're talking double digits. Oh, boy. Okay. But the speed is considerably faster, so you have to have that latency to offset the speed. How about the voltage? Voltage is considerably less. It's 1.2 volts. Ooh, so lots of legroom to add power. That's what we would hope, at least. And I know that you've got some DDR4 in the lab, so looking forward to seeing that in action a little bit further. Mm-hmm. But tell me a little bit more about the motherboard here as we're looking at it. All right, well, let's kind of go around. We got a CPU socket. I'm right. pointing virtually, so you'll have to imagine <laughs> this. Uh, we have, what, 10-phase power supply, VRM, which is uh, in the same location on as on the X79 Dark, for instance. And it's got a nice heat sink of its own. It looks like it's piped across. Yeah, the heat sink is considerably larger. On X79, the, the biggest performance drawback was when the VRM got hot, it affected the stability of the processor. So Very nice. So, yeah, keeping that cool is good. We've got a heat pipe connecting it to the MCP heatsink which also has an x70 or x99 logo on it very nice and that's the big old evga heatsink i mentioned earlier and it's very large it's a good three inches across by it looks like maybe four inches at its widest part yeah it might be a little bit bigger than that it could be going around the board we have uh two eight pin cpu powers at the top above the vrm we have uh voltage test leads location above the memory socket very nice now that takes the breakout board right Yep, and that's so you can plug into your multimeter and not have to touch the, the physical board. Power reset buttons. We also have a CMOS reset over here. We can change our BIOS with a switch. We also have a post LED. You'll notice that a very standard thing with EVGA motherboards is the 90-degree power 
connectors. Yeah, and I see the 90 degrees now across a lot of the sockets here, even the USB 3.0. Yeah, one thing that um, somebody brought to my attention was that now that uh, cases are reversed, so they have the power supply at the bottom, having that 90 degree power connector down there may actually impact clearances at the bottom of your case. That's very true, but at least they've moved that extra six pin down to the bottom, so you don't have to string it around and under to try to get it to the top of the motherboard where it traditionally sits. We have our standard overclocking control, so we can disable PCI Express lanes. We have a few other little tweaks in there in terms of switches. We have quite a few SATA connections down here. I see that, a big block of them. Total of 10. We also have two M.2 slots. Yeah, I see that too. And as you know, I've just recently started playing with the old M SATA drives. Mm -hmm. And I find that that's a really nice, exciting addition. Yeah, well, we have a Type 3 and a Type 2. And I don't have any of those drives, but the Type 3 would support the SSDs and the storage, the fast storage, direct into the PCI Express bandwidth. And then the Type 2 would support um, small cards like your wireless connectors and... um, you know, decoder cards and stuff like that. So you got some nice expandability there, at least options. Yeah. Now, the one thing that really impressed me about this board was if you look under here, right by the audio jacks on the I.O. port, we have mm-hmm. some fancy audio capacitors. Those are fancy. Nice gold wrap solids. Mm-hmm. So who does the audio? I, it doesn't say, or I haven't found it yet, but no. the uh, the nice thing about modern motherboards is that Audio is on board, and ever since, um, as far as I can remember, even before, we have, uh, you know, the analog, and then we also have digital, but they just used a, a Phi chip, you know, like a Realtek or something like that. It wasn't anything fancy. It was just to give you audio. Now, we have uh, motherboard makers that are taking some time and building in a good audio solution. That's very nice, and I can help you out on this one because this particular setup is a Creative Sound Core 3D quad-core audio processor. Oh, nice. Thanks to a little help from the box. Not only that, but a very nice brand that we recognize mm-hmm. in the Creative. And the Core 3D, of course, is right now one of the pinnacles for your onboard sound or even really add-on sound cards. Yeah, so I'm hoping that the audio will test well in our in our benchmarking. They didn't do the the marketing spiel of you know separating the PCB layers for the audio. Right. So there's no physical disconnect, although who knows if that actually really helps or not. Well, there is a fair amount of clear space around it. So wrapping up, we have the IO connectors. Yeah. And I noticed that uh, immediately, and maybe I am just not paying a lot of attention to the new uh, processors, but there's no external video anymore. Not well on the X79 and X99, there's no embedded video. So it's all going to be handled by the onboard PCI Express lights. Oh, yeah, that's right. I need to save a little more, I guess, to get one of those bad boys. There isn't any PS2 ports, which is not uncommon. EVGA has been kind of removing those from their boards. Yeah, which is nice. In place of that, we have quite a few USB 2 and 3 ports back there. Yes, we do. It looks like four threes and six twos. Yep, and also dual Ethernet. So we can do some teaming or basically have fallover. Very nice, and it looks like this one is using an Intel chipset for Mm -hmm. the dual gig, which is nice. So the one thing, you know, I always look at for the multi-GPU index is that with the X99, we're going to have two numbers, basically, for the multi-GPU index. Okay. 
And the reason being is because if you get a 5820K, which is the overclocked uh, hex core processor, the low end one, this one's about $400 US. Oh, only. Only, yeah. That one only comes with 28 PCI Express lanes in the CPU. Oh, so kind of taking advantage. If you get the lesser one, you're going to be crippled a little bit. Yep. And crippled also in that it disables the PCI Express number three lane on this particular motherboard. Interesting. Now, is that something that the average user is going to miss? I don't think so. The only person that's really going to miss it is if you're going to be running three-way SLI. Because oh, okay. for two, you can still have your two 16x bandwidth slots, which are going to be one and four, I believe. And then if you upgrade and get the 5900 series CPU, then you get a full 40 lanes of PCI Express bandwidth out of those. So you have the 30K and also the 60X. So if you were to go overclocking, you clearly would want to take advantage of the 59s. Uh, Yes, I believe so. And you also have the added benefit that the 5960X is an eight-core processor Oh, with hyper-threading. So we got 16 threads 16 in this bad boy. 16 threads. That is impressive. And around out the back, I see a little red button. Is that the CMOS reset for when the case is closed? Yep, exactly. Very nice. I'm just spinning this thing around here to take a closer look at it. And I see, well, at least a fair amount of fan leads as well, which is nice. Even a couple of 90 degrees on those too. Yeah. One of my complaints with the X79 Dark was that they thought too much of liquid nitrogen and water cooling, not right. so much for air cooling. There was no PCI fan, or not PCI, but CPU fan header by the socket. Oh, wow. But on the classified, we have two of them at the very top to handle all-in-one water coolers. I noticed this one also, at least in the marketing speak, has an eight-layer PCB, which uh, seems closer to standards and not as many layers as we've seen in some of the high-end boards. No, the... I believe the dark had a 12 layer PCB. This one just has eight. So they, they trimmed it down trying to be a little bit more economical. It does reduce the thickness of the board. I see that, but it's not so bad as it used to be like back in the P55 days when the boards was actually physically flex and crack. It doesn't have the same weight. They have weight when, when you add that many layers and also the heat sinks and stuff on it. it makes it feel quality, right? So mm-hmm. with the um, with this one, it's a little bit lighter. It doesn't have as big a heat sinks on it, but I don't think it necessarily needs it either. Now, one thing that we haven't talked about is the size of it, because this is a large board. This is an extended ATX board, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it's going to be the same size as probably a Rampage 4 Extreme, which is the SSI something-something size board. It's extended ATX is actually taller so you have room for extra expansion slots and speaking of those slots i see one two three four five full slice slots mm-hmm. and one small accessory slot yeah, and basically one slot that is blanked out we could look forward to five-way sli no you can do four-way sli they include bridges for that it's not going to be super tall like some of the msi boards so you're not going to be able to get the double slot configuration for your cooling aspect of uh-huh. it the board is a bit wider in in width, so it uh, you can need to make sure you have a case that will support that. Now, I haven't seen a lot of the X99 motherboards. In fact, this is the first one I've actually handled in person. But I do notice that even with the heat pipe, there doesn't seem to be as much heat sink action going on in general. No, well, there's only two chips. Well, so to speak, there's the chipset itself, the X99 chipset, 
which is located in the lower quadrant where the south bridge normally is located. And then we also have the VRM, which is our 12 phases at the top near the CPU. In terms of heat production, the trend was Intel was making their chipsets rather efficient. Back in the, um, the Sandy Bridge days, you know, I saw they were doing some testing in the Foxconn labs, and they didn't have any heat sinks anywhere on the board, and they were running stress tests. So obviously, you didn't need those heat sinks, but companies put them on there because it actually helps make the board last longer. Well, that makes sense, and they look cool too. So in this case, the X79 needed the VRM cooled really, really well, especially under overclock conditions. So EVGA with the X99 classified has put a very large heatsink on the VRM and connected it to the south bridge with a uh, heat pipe. So that should actually help with the heat capacity and also keep things nice and cool. Well, overall, very impressive. And I think that it may be time for me to start looking at an upgrade to an X99. I'm excited about a lot of the features, but mostly excited about DDR4. Can you tell us what the plan is for this one as far as a review build? Uh, we're going to be doing a 5960X processor. We have some Corsair memory, which is clocked at uh, 2666. Nice. And I have a variety of uh, 780 type cards I'll be putting on there for various testing. And I'm hoping to put this bad boy on the face. So it should um, should see some good overclocking numbers. Well, definitely something to look forward to. I encourage you to check out the pictures of this motherboard and the review on hardwareasylum.com. And thanks, Dennis, for giving us a first look. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on hardwareasylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS, now available on iTunes. Join us on Facebook follow us on Google. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2014. Thanks for listening.